Good to be with you all. And uh, yeah, I'm Morris. Uh, I'm one of the, part of the leadership team at Sister Church just down the road in Ipswich. And uh, great to be with you here again. And uh, whew, great time of worship. We can worship God even though we can't see. And uh, anyway, I want to uh, speak to you from Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles there, please uh, open your Bibles. You haven't got the time to go through the whole, uh, read through the whole chapter, but it concerns um, three parables that are some of the most well-known parables of Jesus. A parable, as uh, many of you may know, is a story that uh, told to illustrate a spiritual or moral truth. It's the way particularly in, in sort of uh, cultures where truth is communicated by, by uh, storytelling. This is, uh, you know, we're, we're used to lists and so on because we're all Western trained, many of us. But here in these cultures, stories were told and they conveyed very powerful truth. And we're going to look at uh, some of the powerful truth that Jesus was communicating in the three parables in Luke 15. But before we start, let's think a little bit about uh, Epizuxis. I'm sure, yeah, thank you. I'm sure um, uh, most mornings you don't wake up thinking about Epizuxis. I don't, <laughs> I don't, uh, Siri's just told me I don't understand. There you go. <laughs> so, Epizuxis in grammar is a device where you repeat a word or phrase to give it greater emphasis, okay? So, you say it again and again and again. So, I could say, I like you. I could say I really like you, because um, I need to persuade you that I like you. I could say I really, really like you, and that starts to stray into other territory, doesn't it? You know, if I say I really, really like you, that sort of, you know. So these extra, you repeating yourself, it brings extra um, emphasis. Or, or as a recent song said, I really, 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 really like you. I think that you know you're hammering home the nail there. I want to make it plain that I like you. Never give in, never give in, never, never, never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honour and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. That's Winston Churchill, Epizuxis. Uh, never going to give you up. <laughs> never going to let you down and never going to run around and desert you. Well, that was Rick Astley, obviously. <laughs> Epizuxis. This is what it is. It's repeating something to make sure that you've got the point. So, you know, God loves you. Yeah, no, he really, really loves you. He really, really, really loves you. All right? He's paid your penalty. He's covered your shame. He's overcome your enemy. He really, really, really loves you. Epizuxis. Now, Jesus often uses Epizuxis when he was speaking in order to add emphasis to his words. So most famously, you'll see that in John's Gospel. In my it's, it's slightly different from translation to translation, but in mine, he does this 26 times. And the words he uses are verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. He's saying that I, I am telling you the truth. All right? So... Different translations translate this as I tell you the truth or I tell you the solemn truth 
or most assuredly, I say to you, or truly, I tell all of you emphatically. So that the Bible is trying to say, look, this is what, when he's, when he's repeating himself, he's trying to really underline something to you. Um, now, from what I can find, there may be some more occasions, but I can find two occasions in the New Testament where the same word is used three times. One is well-known, and one is a little less well-known. Uh, the well-known one we've just been singing, yeah, Revelations 4 and verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under its wings, and day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as uh, Al was explaining to us, you know, when we talk about someone or something being holy, we mean it's, it's set apart, it's, it's, it's something other, it's something different. It's not like this sort of grimy, grotty world we live in. This is something very beautiful and very, very pure. And, uh, you know, he's talking about God being, being holy. He's set apart. He's, he's apart from us. He's, some, he's beautiful and pure beyond measure. In fact, I can't even find the word, so I'm going to repeat it. It's holy, holy. No, that's not even enough to describe how beautiful and pure God is. He is holy, holy, holy. Epizeuxis. There it is. And then there's the other example, maybe not quite so well known, but I just wanted to dwell on this for a moment. It's a little bit later on in Revelations 8 and verse 13. And it says, As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the three other angels. I just want to dwell on this for a moment. <laughs> Because over the last year and a half, you might have heard some people, depending on what uh, social media channels or what voices you listen to, you might have heard some people saying, you know, Oi, what, these are some of the signs, the end times are coming, you know, it's getting grim. And you think, okay, well, let's just see what it says here in chapter 8. Uh, it says the seven angels have got seven trumpets. The first angel blew his trumpet. There was hail and fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees and all of the grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet. A great trumpet, a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the waters became bitter and many people died. And then the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so the third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and, otherwise, and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets. <laughs> I mean, this is bad enough, isn't it? what we just read, and he's saying, watch out, whoa, 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 of the trumpets that are about to be blown. And I'm thinking, you know what? We are a long, long, long way from these events. We really are. And I just, you know, I don't think we're anywhere close. Rachel and I sometimes, you know, I sit and I say, oh, isn't it bad? This is really terrible. We can't do this. We can't do that. And then I read this and I think, oh, shut up, Morris. You know, <laughs> We're a long, long, long way from these events. I really do believe that... Uh, 
There are many, many more things that have to come into place before we're going to start seeing these events come together, which are going to happen. They are prophesied, you know, it's not saying these are never going to happen. They're going to happen, but I don't think that the current crisis that we're in is in any way a reflection of that. So don't allow people to alarm you with those things. So let's, um, what does it all have to say uh, or to do with Luke 15? Well, Luke 15 is a classic epizuxis. It's a cla- the structure of the, of the, the chapter is written in such a way as to underline a point and make it again and again and again. Because you've got three very similar parables repeated, whether it was that Jesus repeated them one after the other or whether the writers have put these together and assembled them in order to make this point. The point is that something is being repeated to give it greater emphasis and to make sure we have understood. Okay? And so, in verses 4 to 7, we have the story of the lost sheep. A man leaves his, his 99 sheep to go and find the one lost sheep. And when he finally finds it, he brings it home on his shoulders with great happiness. And then we have the story of the lost coin in verses 8 to 10. A woman has 10 valuable coins but loses one. So takes a lamp and a broom and searches every corner of her house until she finds the lost coin with great happiness. And then we have the story of the lost son or sometimes described as the prodigal son. A man has two sons. The younger son demands his inheritance from his father and leaves home, spends all his money on reckless living. A famine hits the land and he finds himself destitute, feeding pigs, which is the lowest of the low, obviously, for a Jew. He decides to go home and confess his rebellion and asks to be a hired man in his father's home. And uh, the father sees him from a long way off, and runs to him and embraces him and kisses him and receives him back as his son and celebrates with great happiness. So we have a lost sheep, we have a lost coin, we have a lost son, and then we see these verses, 6 to 7, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then in verse 9 to 10, rejoice with me, Epizuxis. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then in verse 32, where we have the father explaining to the older son why he was uh, why he'd run to greet the, the younger son. He said, look, we had to celebrate and be glad. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but he's now found. So, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, we were really lost. Yeah, we're really lost. We didn't just sort of wander off a little bit. Or stra- you know, no, we were lost, lost, lost. Before we knew God, before we turned back to him, our state, for anybody listening to this message who has not turned, to, turned back to God through Jesus Christ and his saving grace and everything we just celebrated with communion, you are you're utterly lost. You're utterly lost, <laughs> cut off, abandoned. You are far, you know, and it, you cannot find your way back. We're like the sheep wandering on and on from one patch of grass to another, from hour to hour, eyes only able to see what's immediately ahead of us. 
short-sightedly unaware that we're not where we should be, all the time straying from the flock and the safety of the fold, getting ourselves stuck in thickets and brambles. Or we're like the coin, you know, we can't... I mean, a coin can't grow little legs and run back. It's in- incapable of helping itself. It's, a lost, it's lost in the darkness and in the dirt. It can't move, can't make our own way back, can't even bleat like a sheep. Okay? Or we're like the sun, and you know, exercising deliberate and selfish and rebellious independence, trying to take what is ours before time, trying to do it our way, cutting us off, ourselves off from the Father. Jesus saying, we're lost. Without God, you know, without hope in the world, we are lost, lost, lost. The world is lost. All right? And it's miserable. It's a very miserable experience. Alone and afraid like the sheep, cold and lifeless like the coin, in the mud with the pigs like the sun. An independent, rebellious life separated from our Father is miserable, miserable, miserable. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit hard for us to persuade people about this because they say, well, I'm going to have time in my life, spending my money and doing what I want and going where I want and sleeping with whoever I want and drinking whatever I want. And blah, 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 blah. No, no. No, you're lost. <laughs> and in your heart of hearts and in your spirit, you are miserable. And uh, Jesus goes on, underlining this again and again. You know, we were lost, but for those of us here who have put their trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, you know that you are found. <laughs> Even a scumbag like me. <laughs> found, found, found. He didn't abandon me. He didn't leave me there in my dirty corner. He didn't. He came after me. He ran after me, pursued me, came looking for me. Yeah, he's going to find me. Found, found, found. You know, the man in the parable came to seek and save us. I have found my lost sheep, he cries. The woman searching tirelessly with her lamp and her broom to find us. I have found my lost coin. She cries. The father runs to embrace the returning son. He was dead, but he's now alive. He was lost, but he is now found. He cries. <laughs> yeah. Epizuxis, again. I found you. I found you. I found you. We're, we're, you know, the Bible says that we've strayed from our father like a wandering sheep how it describes us you know we've become lost like that coin and rebelled against our father like that son but he has searched for us he has pursued us and when we finally turn from our independent rebellious ways and turn back to him he has embraced us with his love and then conferred upon us he didn't just rescue us he then conferred upon us the full rights and privileges of sonship and daughtership, adopted into his family, given the right to be called children of God. I've often uh, mentioned this, you know, we, we live in an age of rights, equal rights, my right, this is my right, this is your right. The Bible only talks about one right, and it's the only right that matters, and that is you've been 
declared as having the right to be called a child of God. <laughs> That's the only one that matters. You always worry about your rights. Have I got a right to do this? Have I got a right to sing in church? It doesn't matter. You've been given the right to be called the children of God, and that's all that matters. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We are found, found, found. Just another thing, just before we get on to um, the, my final point, so little, little brackets before I get on to my final point, which I want to really hopefully drive home for us today. These three parables, just an interesting observation. There's a Trinitarian aspect to this, if you've read that. Okay, in the first parable, it's the man, Jesus, the son, seeking and saving the lost, going off, leaving the 99 to go and find the one. In the second parable, you could see it as a, a type of the church, the bride of Christ. It's a woman, by the light of the Spirit, carrying a lamp with her, sharing the responsibility with Jesus to seek and rescue that which is lost. And in the last parable, it's the father receiving the repentant sinner. It's Trinitarian aspect to this. Spurgeon agrees with me. So there we go. <laughs> but here we go, all right? Epizuxis. We're really lost. Jesus wants you to know. Sheep, coin, son. Lost, lost, lost. Miserable. You know? But he's found us. Found, found, found. But here's the point. And this is what I want to try and... I want, I want this to sink into your hearts today. I did my best in the first service. I think I got there. I really want to make sure I get, I get it today. All right? I really want you to get this. There is joy, joy, joy. It's, you're in a happy family. Okay? You've been joined to a father who's really happy that he found you. He's really pleased that he found you. Your love makes him very, very happy. Okay? God is so happy that he found you. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. He is delighted. He is utterly delighted that he found you. He's not thinking, oh, there you are. Where have you been? Come on, get home before I give you one. <laughs> He's delighted. He's delighted that he found you. Absolutely thrilled. He's delighted that you were lost, but you're now found. He's delighted that you were dead, but you're now alive. He's delighted that you're an outcast, but now he can adopt you as one of his own children, a son and a daughter of the king. Now, I've been, I had 10 years in the military. I've been doing this sort of work now for 30 years, working among churches. I would say that in my observation, one of the things that the Christian finds, often finds it most difficult to do is to live in the reality of the daily ongoing delight of God. That's just my observation. Probably from my own life and the observation of those who are pastoring and care for around me. The moment you wake up, you must be aware of the delight of God in you. If there's nothing else, you're waking up and you think, I've got nothing else to wake up for. What am I going to wake up for? You know? Well, the King of Heaven is delighted to see you. <laughs> yeah, we often, we, we sing this song, don't we? And it's uh, from a, uh, obviously from a scripture about the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I think sometimes, I mean, it's often, very often it's read as, I have the joy of the Lord. I have the joy of the Lord. I feel a bit like Wallace and Gromit here. 
I have the joy of the Lord, and that gives me strength. And, and it's, the implication is that it's my joy. But actually, I don't think that's what the verse is saying. It's saying it's the Lord's joy. It's the joy of the Lord. The, 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 the joy that belongs to the Lord gives me strength. Yeah? And so it's just, it's just waking up and thinking, you know, God's really pleased to see me. Yeah? And, and he, my love for him makes him happy. Isn't that an amazing thought? Is it not amazing? All the things that you've achieved today, that for you to say, you know, God, I just want to tell you I love you. And you make the God of the universe happy. It fills him with joy. He rejoices. He sings a song. He sings a song over you. You know, heaven's a happy place. I, you know, I, as I say, this is why sometimes I find it hard to persuade some believers, thinking, you know what, you've joined a happy family. Yeah, okay, God is, you know, going to help us with our sinful practices and behaviour. It's not, that, but there's this whole thing, you know, He loves us too much to leave us. You know, He loves us exactly as He finds us, but loves us too much to leave us where we are. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's we're a work in progress with God. We all know that, but He loves us. And he's really pleased to be with us. He enjoys your company. That was a revelation to me once. I remember someone prophesying over me and saying, Morris, you know, God really likes you. And you find yourself arguing. Oh, you know, I'm not very likable, really. You know. Well, if you really knew what I was like, well, he does know, he does know what you like. He, he does know what you like, you know, and, uh, and yeah, he really likes you. you know. And, and we have to be a bit, a bit careful there. I find this sometimes... <coughs> When, when we start arguing with God and saying, well, no, you know, oh, that's okay, Morris, you can say how much he delights in everybody, but not me. No, 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 no. No, no, you're, starting to, you're straying into dangerous territory here because you're straying into trying to tell someone that you know better than God. And if you try to tell someone that you know better than God, then basically you've made yourself God. It's self-idolatry. You've positioned yourself as a, as a false God. God says, whoa, you know, grace is when God gives us the things we don't deserve and mercy is when he does not give us what we do deserve. And you are beloved of God and he delights in you and he sings songs over you and you make him happy when you tell him how much you love him and you say, you know what, that may be all right for everybody else but not for me. You know, I'm unlovely. I don't think that's the case for me. Well, you have just made yourself God and you're saying I know better than God. And that is not just a little mistake, that's a dangerous place to be. I say that with all love. <laughs> Don't tell God you know better. Now that is like, well, you've just made your, you've set yourself up as a higher court than God. And you don't want to do that. If God says that he loves you, if God says it fills his heart, he rejoices that you've turned back to him. He rejoices, you know. And Isaiah, quaking with fear, woe to me on the threshold of the temple. Hebrews, we walk boldly into the presence of God through the torn curtain, into the throne room, it says. Boldly, not arrogantly, but bold in the knowledge of our sonship and daughtership. Bold in the knowledge that we're going to be greeted by a loving father who's beaming at us with his eyes of love and ready to embrace us and kiss us and say, hey, love you. So we've got to learn to live in that place because there is joy, joy, joy 
in the heart of God that you have turned to him. Okay? So I just want to pray in a few moments just for the Spirit of God to take the truth of God. You know, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, but also as the Spirit of God crawls deep to deep and says, oh, Abba Father, <laughs> you love me. I love you. I want to please you, God, just by, just by telling you how much I love you. Yeah, not by performing. or no, I'm going to serve you because I know you love me. Not to earn your love, but because of your love. I'm going to pour my life out for you because you love me. Not to earn your smile, but because you smile. It's so important. We've got to, l- we've got to rehearse living in that place. So, let's come into land. So, I just want to say to anybody here who's not turned to God, all right, if you're listening to this message and you're thinking, okay, well, I wouldn't consider myself to be a follower of Jesus, um, but it's very interesting to listen to what you're saying. Well, I, I, Jesus is saying you're really lost, all right? Okay, don't think, well, you know, I'm just sort of umming and ahhing about this and maybe, my, you know, I consider myself quite a good person. No, if you haven't turned to God like this prodigal, like this lost son, if you haven't turned back to him and said, I, I need to go back to my father, then you are, you are lost, you're cut off, you're abandoned by God. That's what Jesus is saying. Without him, we are lost. <coughs> and you can try and convince yourself that you're doing okay, but you're miserable in your heart of hearts and in your spirit. You're doing all you can to try and make yourself happy. All right? <coughs> so my appeal to you, if, if that's you, I'm just saying turn back. Turn back. Turn to God. Turn to, turn to Jesus and say, look, you know, I've, I've rebelled. I've, I'm trying to do it my way. I'm trying to figure this out for myself. And I, I ask you, God, to forgive me. I want to turn back to you. I want to trust in everything that Jesus has made possible through his death and resurrection. And I'm going to put my life in your hands now, God. I'm going to put it in your hands. I want to do it your way. And he will rejoice. And for those of us, we are followers of Jesus, I just want to encourage us to rehearse living in the joy of God. Just rehearse living in the sonship and daughtership that he has made possible for you. You haven't earned it. You haven't carved it out for yourself. You were lost like everybody else. But he's found you. And now he's adopted you. He's justified you by faith. Now he's adopted you as part of his family and there is joy in the house. It's a happy family. Don't live like a slave. Don't live like a slave. Like the, 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 uh, the older brother we read in verse 29. You know, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. This is not someone who's understood his sonship. You know, the father goes on in, in verse 31. He says, look, well, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. It's all yours anyway. It all belongs to you. And yet somehow he was not living in, the, in the, the joy of his sonship. He was living in the duty of his, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like a slave here. I think many Christians can find themselves in that position, actually thinking, you know what? I'm just, I've, got to do, I've got to please God. I've got to, you know, I've got to do my duty Often it's not about pleasing God, it's about pleasing, 
your perception of pleasing the other people around you. You know, oh, you know, what, what are the leader's going to think if I don't do this? Or, you know, I better do that. Or, and we're not slaves. Jesus says, I call you friends. God says, you're my children. We are slaves to righteousness. What that means is, before Christ, we were slaves to sin. We had to do whatever sin demands and requires. We had, and we had to go wherever sin led us. Now we're, sins to, and we're slaves to righteousness. So we have to go where righteousness takes us. <laughs> you know? We have to go. We're not, we're, not, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We're slaves to, right, we're slaves to righteousness. And the fruit of that is our sonship and daughtership and this family of joy that God has joined us to. So I want to just caution us not to live like slaves, but to live like sons and daughters. Not in some sort of happy, clappy, frothy, superficial way, but in that deep, deep way of acknowledging that God has found me, that he really, really loves me, and he's really, really happy to have me as his child. I want to learn to live in that truth. C.S. Lewis says there's a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you very serious. It's such a beautiful truth. The joy is so <laughs> deep that you're thinking, God, how can this be true? But it's, it's here. I'm just reading it. I'm found, found, found. There's joy, joy, joy. So I want to pray for you now as we come to a close here. I just want to pray that God by his Holy Spirit will visit your heart even as we pray and remind you. It's not a head, this isn't a head thing. It's not just like in my head I believe this. It's you know what? By, he comes by his very own presence and floods us with the assurance of his presence. And as I quoted earlier from Romans, you know, our spirit to his spirit, deep to deep. Abba Father. Let's just pray. Just where you are, let's just bow your heads. So I'm just going to pray for us now. Father, thank you for these simple stories that tell us something so profound. Thank you that we can understand from this just how lost we are. We're really lost. We're lost, lost, lost without you. We're not just sort of pursuing another way or trying to discover ourselves or trying to make the planet a better place. No, we're lost. We're cut off from you. We're abandoned, spiritually abandoned. Aliens and outcasts. No place. Lost without hope, without God in this world. Father, I want to pray that if there's anybody listening in who is not with you now, I pray you will squeeze their heart right now. Just squeeze their heart. So I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm chasing you down. I'm pursuing you now with my love. Oh God, will you seek and save those who are lost among us, we pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Chase down those who are harassed and helpless and lonely and abandoned. You... You want to gather them in. You want to embrace them and love them and kiss them and, and say, be with me forever. Enjoy my love and 
Father, I, I do pray, Lord, any that are resisting, just give up. <laughs> Surrender to him. Surrender to him. This, there's nothing in this world. It's got nothing to offer you. He's got everything to offer you. Taste and see how good he is. Turn to God. Reach out to a friend today and say, can you help, you know, show me what to do. They will lead you in prayer. They will lead you into this relationship with your Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. They will help you to do that and they will pray that you will be filled with his Holy Spirit, that Jesus will come by his Spirit and, and, and saturate your life. He'll fly, come in like a flood and fill you with love and assurance as you learn to shape your life around his words and around his ways. And Father, we pray, those of us who have been following you, Lord, maybe for a short while, maybe we've been following you for many, many years, we invite you, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh. Come and fill us afresh. Lord, forgive us if we've lived like a slave, if we've been sort of, you know, just in the wrong transaction with you and thinking, you know, that somehow we're impressing you or impressing other people with our actions. Lord, we, we want to live on your love, be motivated by your love, that then we'll be spurred on to all sorts of pouring our lives out in sacrifice because of your love. Not to earn your love, it's so important. We pour our lives out for God because he loves us. Not to get his approval, but because he approves us. We think it's a wonderful thing. God, I want to give everything up now and just give it to you. I just pray now, Lord, will you, just where you're sat there, if you feel comfortable, won't you just open your hands like in a, a gesture of receiving. It's, it's, you know, just open your hands and say, I want to receive your love, God. I receive your, I receive your joy. I want to just taste, just warm my heart, God, like liquid love just flowing through my veins. Warm my heart with the empowering encounter with your Holy Spirit that squeezes my heart, that warms my soul, that from my innermost being, deep to deep, calls out to me. And I just look at, and I just say, God, Father, I love you. I love you, Father. I love to put that smile on your face. I love it that you're waiting for me to wake up just to enjoy my company. I love it that you're watching over me in my sleep. I love it that you can't wait to share time with me, that you enjoy my company, that you like to hang out with me. I love it, God, that you've taken me. I was a, an, an outcast and you have adopted me into your family. You've taken the lonely and put me into a family where I'm surrounded by, by many, many other brothers and sisters that we can share and enjoy the love of God together. So, Lord, we just ask you, please, make this clear in our hearts for my friends listening in today that there is joy, joy, 
joy. You have found us. You have found us. You have saved us. You've rescued us and redeemed us. And there is joy in heaven because of me. There is joy in heaven because of you. There is joy in heaven because of every one of you in this room. And none of you are qualified to disqualify yourself. If God says you are free, you are free indeed. And if he says you're my son or you're my daughter, who are you to tell him that you're not? Just live in daily, rehearse, live in the, the wonder of the joy of God. Let his joy be a strength in your life. I pray for that. I pray you'll never forget that verse. That he is full of rejoicing and joy because of you. And that is what gives you the strength to stand every day. Every day to stand and say, God loves me. God's with me. God will carry me through. He's going to get me through. God has got rich purpose for my life. He's got plans to prosper me, not to harm me. He's got a rich destiny. He's appointed me to bear fruits. He said, no, no, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I came and looked out. I dug you out of the corner, out of the dirt, in order for you to bear fruit to my glory that is going to last, it's going to endure beyond your life. Father God, we want to live in the good of all that you've obtained for us. Jesus, we don't want to fall short of enjoying everything you've obtained for us. Lord, we want to live this life to the full. What a life we have ahead of us. Oh, we've got eternity ahead of us, but now we've got a rich life to live here now. I pray no one in this room falls short of everything Jesus has obtained for you. Take it all. Pour it all out. He's paid the price. Ticket's paid. It's all yours. As he said, as the father said to the older son, everything I have is already yours. It's already yours. It's, everything I have is already yours. God says, it's all there. Come and take it. Come and drink deep. Relax. Enjoy. <laughs> enjoy being my son. Please, enjoy being my daughter. Stop the striving. Stop the self-recrimination. Stop it. Just come to me. I just, uh, I just had a picture of someone here looking at a, um, uh, like a, a mark sheet. They've been in an exam. And they're, they're, they're filling out the exam and they're looking at the mark. And it says something like five out of ten. And you think, I, oh, I haven't done very well here. And underneath, the master has written, come and see me. <laughs> come and see me. Oh, God. He's not a school teacher. He's not going to punish you. He's not going to pour scorn on you for not doing as well as you wanted to do. He's saying, no, come and see me. <laughs> you don't feel you've done very well. Come and see me. Come and see me. All right? And we're just going to sit and... Well, you know, repentance. What does it mean to turn back to God? It means to Jesus would sit and eat dinner with tax collectors and sinners. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn back and sit with Jesus and eat together and gaze on him and think, you're the one, Jesus. You're the king and the captain. You're the one who's made it all possible. You're the one who's come and found me. You're the one who's, 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 who's gathered me back in when I was helpless and I couldn't do anything for myself. You're the one who's gathered me in Jesus. You're my, 
Oh, Jesus, you're my king. Come and see me, says Jesus. You don't feel you've done very well? You don't feel you come up to the mark? Come and see me, says God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen.